Thank you for tuning in to Pastor Brian Hallam's podcast series. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible, open to Exodus chapter number 13, please. Exodus chapter number 13. This morning, I want to talk about the backstory. Almost everything has a backstory to it. I like a television show called Gold Rush. It's about some guys that go into Alaska and different parts of the world, and they try to find gold, and they try to dig it up. And the craziest thing is, is they'll have dump truck after dump truck after dump truck of dirt, and then they'll get uh, uh, enough gold that wouldn't fill up a, a jelly jar or a mason jar, and it's still just thousands and thousands of dollars. And it's intriguing to me that these guys spend so much time in rough elements, and, and they go up there and get it done. And the, the television show follows several different people. One group is a group of about a dozen guys, and they've got all the right equipment. They've got all the right financial backing. They talk the right way. They act the right way. They have everything from the outside that looks like they should be a roaring success. And then there's another group that's headed up by a young man that when I started watching the show, he was 18 or 19 years old. Now he's 20 years old. And he's running this crew. And if you would look at this little 21, 20-year-old man, Young man, he's got all these guys that are, you know, rough characters working for him. And they've got these humongous trucks and humongous equipment and everything's always moving forward. And I like it. And I understand that they're probably editing the TV show to make it out this way. But they always paint him as if he's overzealous and overeager. And I remember when I was 20 years old and I was probably overzealous and overeager in a lot of things. So I can relate to that. But if you looked at it from the outside... If you looked at it from the outside and you say, which one of these do you think will succeed? And you just tried to judge the book by its cover. Odds are you would pick the 12 grown 45, 60 year old men that have everything together. They've got all the money. They've got all the right equipment. And you would say, this is the group that will probably be successful. And this 20 year old boy, he's got a lot to learn. But there's always a backstory. See, the young man's name that's 20 years old is named Parker. And he has a grandfather that's about 90 years old that's probably, uh, I don't know, maybe he's already passed away, but he's not far from it. He's been sick and different things. But the bottom line is, is that grandfather of Parker spent his entire life mining for gold. He spent his entire life learning about the difference between this kind of dirt and the difference between this kind of dirt and how to build a road in the right spot and how to pull out the dirt so that it won't cave in and all the other tricks of the trade and secrets. And he's been pouring them into this young man, Parker, who's now 20 years old. So to look at Parker on the outside, you would say he has no chance of making it in a man's world. But the backstory says he knows more than the other dozen combined. So oftentimes, we are judged by our cover. We look at things from the outside, or somebody looks at us from the outside, and they have no idea about the backstory. They have no idea that the fact that you and I are not in a ditch somewhere is a miracle from God. They have no idea that 10 years ago, if you would have said that to them, you would be missing two teeth. But bless God, He's changed your life. They have no idea about the backstory. Nobody can see the inside except God. 
That's why it's so imperative and important for you and for me to make sure that the people that we're dealing with on a constant basis, that we recognize that they are in fact in process just like we are. If you have your Bible, turn it to Exodus chapter number 13. Exodus chapter number 13. I'm only going to read one verse, verse number 19. The Bible says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, meaning he made them promise, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away from Egypt. Don't, when God comes, don't leave my bones in Egypt. That's a very interesting thing and might even sound strange on the outside. The Bible says that when Joseph died, he was the prime minister of Egypt. He only reported to one man, and that was Pharaoh. And the Bible says that Joseph, he, he, he answered to no one. And his, it, whenever he died, he was literally almost number one in all of Egypt. And he wasn't even an Egyptian. He had no reason to want to leave. I'll bet you they would have built him a pyramid if he asked for it. But instead, he said, when God comes, take my bones out of this wretched place. How in the world could a man who's number two in charge look at a place that he had everything at his disposal, wealth, uh, uh, homes, uh, flocks, wheat, anything he wanted, it was his. If he said this, they had to do it. It was the way it was in his life. Yet he said, when I die, don't leave my bones in this place. See, the backstory story is, is that Joseph was rejected by his family. The Bible says that Joseph had brothers and his dad, Israel or Jacob, has favored him among above the brothers. And he made him one day this coat of many colors. Many of us, of course, know the story. It was a nice coat. Maybe it looked like this jacket, but not maybe a little bit more colorful. And the Bible says that Jacob gave it to him and it made his brothers jealous. Did you know when the hand of God moves in your life or favor hits your life, if you will, it might make some people jealous, but that doesn't mean you don't get to walk in favor. The Bible says that God will bless you coming in, going out. The Bible says that whenever you begin to serve and give into the kingdom, that he will bless you. But the Bible also says that those blessings come with persecution. If you want to live the blessed life, if you want to live the life that's above and not beneath, the life that Jesus paid for, which is the life more abundant, if that's what you're longing to live for, I'm sorry to tell you, but it comes with persecution. It means it's different. It means whenever your friends call you and say, hey, let's go on a binge and drink all night, and you say, I don't do that anymore, they're going to look at you funny and say, what happened to you? There's going to be persecution. When somebody comes up to you and decides that they're going to tell you a bunch of racist jokes and you ask them politely, please don't tell me any more racist jokes. That's not who I am. They're going to look at you different. Persecution comes when you decide to live for God. Well, here's the situation with Joseph. He was walking in the favor of God. God was causing increase to happen to his life. And instantaneously, persecution begins to overwhelming. And his brothers say, we're going to kill this guy because we're not going to to have him being blessed above us. Did you know when God blesses you, it doesn't limit him to bless somebody else? When God blesses me, it doesn't limit him to bless you. It's just the way it is in the kingdom. God has no limit. He's not sitting there saying, I have one pie and I'm going to give out as many pieces as there are and then it's over. No, he make a new pie. He makes streets out of gold. He uses gold for asphalt. Those guys that are digging up in Alaska ought to just go to heaven and they'll get all the gold they want. 
But Joseph was walking in the favor of God and he found himself at odds with his brothers and his brothers drug him out into the wilderness and threw him into a pit, took his coat off and put the blood of a lamb on it. They should have used something else. Put the blood of a lamb on it, brought it back to his daddy and said, your boy who you loved is dead. Israel, Jacob, falls immediately into mourning, rips his clothes and is is just distraught that his son was dead. Two of the brothers decide we can't have our brother die out there in the field. So they decide they're going to bless him by selling him into slavery. So he gets out of the ditch, he gets sold into slavery, and the Bible says that he gets purchased by a man named Potiphar. And he becomes a servant in Potiphar's house to the point that the Bible says, and Potiphar, by the way, was one of the main guys in Egypt. So he had great favor everywhere he went. He even had favor in a ditch. He was in a a pit, and the Bible says that his brothers couldn't even think about him dying, and favor pulled him out of it. He gets to Potiphar's house, and he sits there, and the Bible says that Potiphar, before too long, made him chief over everything in his household. Until Potiphar's wife looked at him and said, I need me some of that Joseph. The Bible says that she came and threw herself at him and tried to tried to be with him. And the Bible says that he didn't want any part of that. He ran out of there. And when he ran out, she grabbed his coat and he ran off naked. Well, guess what that looked like? Potiphar says, this guy was trying to put his hands on me. I can't believe you would do that. So he finds himself in a ditch. He finds himself in the pit. He finds himself sold into slavery. Then he finds himself being falsely accused, all because the favor of God was on his life. He's now thrown into prison and he gets in prison and there's a baker and a butler that come in and uh, the Bible says that he had favor in prison. And while he had favor in prison, the prison guards put him chief over the whole prison. Everywhere he goes, he's just running stuff. He gets in the prison and he's got such favor on him that everybody trusts him and everybody believes what he says. And these two people come from the palace, from Pharaoh's palace, and they're, 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 they're in prison. And the Bible says that the problem was is they would have some dreams. And Joseph said, well, I know what your dream meant. And he tells them the dream. And all of a sudden they get the two guys that come into prison, they get released. And the Bible says that, that, that they would remember Joseph whenever they were in, in, in the palace. Only one of them did. They remember Joseph because Pharaoh had a dream and he says, oh, I got this crazy dream and I wish one of you sorcerers and witches and warlocks could tell me what would happen. But pagan gods will only take you so far. So the Bible says that one of them remembered there's a guy in prison named Joseph who's good at interpreting dreams. Listen, you get good at what God's called you to do right where you are, because in the right season and the right time, when the promotion comes, you don't have time to get ready. Joseph comes out of prison. Immediately, he's put into Pharaoh's uh, house in front of him. He said, you better be able to tell me my dream or it's going to be bad for you. He goes, that's easy. He said, here's what your dream means. There's going to be seven bad years, or excuse me, seven good years, seven bad years. And we better prepare for the bad years now because the good years are going to be great. But it'll all go away. And if you'll prepare now, you'll have all the wheat and everybody will have to come buy it from Egypt. Immediately, Pharaoh said, that's exactly what it was. And he makes Joseph number two in all of Egypt. The Bible says that Joseph then, he's responsible for divvying out the wheat. When the seven good years are done, everybody's coming to Egypt to buy grain because nobody has any grain because of the drought and all the problems that are going on. And the Bible says that his brothers who threw him in the ditch, who threw him in the pit, came up to him needing grain. They didn't recognize him. Because he wasn't this little boy who had favor anymore. But he was second only to a king. Only to a pharaoh. 
with all the responsibility and all the authority to make the decision to have their heads cut off and handed to him on a platter, he says, give them what they want and charge them nothing. The Bible says that whenever the brothers got home, they got into their bags of grain and all the money that they had paid for the grain was in there with it. And they said, oh no, there must be a mistake. Pharaoh's going to think we stole from him. We better go get this right. And they rushed back to Egypt only to find their brother waiting with open arms saying, you hurt me, but I refuse to hurt you. As long as I live, you'll be blessed as I'm blessed. Let me tell you what Christians do. Christians return blessings for curses. Christians take hardship and neglect and use it as a stone to sharpen their sword of the Spirit. Christians take issues and problems and, and, and pits and prisons and, and false accusations and we just turn it all around and we believe God, what He said in His Word, that all things will work together for good for us because we love God and we're called according to His purpose. Nobody had any idea the struggle that Egypt meant to Joseph. Because on the outside, he was vice president, prime minister. But the backstory was, it cost him everything and was ridiculed with heartache. Clap your hands for joy if you're hearing any of this. Turn your Bible to the next chapter, chapter number 14. We'll begin reading in verse number 11. The thing is, in your life, it's imperative to remember the backstory and to recognize where somebody is today is never the whole story. In your life, don't get down on yourself because you're not where you're going. Thank God you're not where you were. So many times we think about and we set a goal. Say you want to lose 50 pounds in 2014 and you only lose 49 and a half. Well, bless God, you got the 49 and a half. Don't worry about the half. It'll take care of itself if you'll continue on. Moving forward in that same thought, if you only lose five pounds out of the 50, listen, that's the tithe. Somebody bless God. What I'm saying is, is commit today to never speak for your enemy again. Never look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm less than. Never look yourself in the mirror and say, I'll never be this. Never look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm that or I'm this. Now listen, when you go before God and you say, Lord, I'm nothing without the blood of Jesus, that is a different thing than beating yourself up. When you go to court, the Bible, not the Bible, but the law will tell you this. If you don't have an attorney, we will appoint one for you. Because there is a need for somebody to speak on your behalf. And the scripture says that Jesus Christ is in heaven right now, constantly making intercession for you and for me. And when you say something contrary to this book, you are arguing with him. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. When something comes out of your mouth concerning your family, concerning your children, come on somebody, concerning your church, immediately and always commit to speak God's word, God's goodness. You'll have plenty of people in your life that will ridicule you, talk down to you, say negative things. Listen, if they don't say it, they say it with their eyes, whatever. But we are not fixing to be the people that get in line with the enemy. We're going to get in line with what Christ Jesus said. Amen? Verse number 11 says this. And this is at the time whenever the Israelites just came out of Egypt. They were in in bondage for 430 years. Moses was leading them. And they're coming out of Egypt. And the Bible says that they come to the Red Sea with a bunch of chariots full of Egyptians behind them. 
The Bible says, They said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you took us away to die in the wilderness. Why would you deal this way with us? To carry us forth out of Egypt. Is not this word that we tell you in Egypt saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it's been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Verse number 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Fear not. Stand still. See salvation. Fear not. Stand still. See salvation. There are times in your life, there's times in any race when you can see the finish line. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that you're going to be able to sprint a little bit better when you see the target than you can when you can't. Now, the longest distance I've ever run is about four miles. And bless God, I survived. But along the way, I can remember about mile two and mile three, I was running with one of my cousins. She is a fitness instructor. She has been a fitness instructor for, I I think, 30 years. No joke. She is the most fit human being I know. She is overwhelmingly, uh, she won't eat a donut, y'all. I mean, you put glaze on it, she won't eat it. Sugar, sprinkle. You put a sprinkle on a donut, the only thing that will stop me is the hand of God. But she won't do it. She's serious about it. And listen, and I'm not making light of it. She does a great job of it. But I remember I was in, you know, some of the best shape of my life. I was in college. I was playing sports in college. And and here I am. I'm running. I remember mile two thinking, man, I don't think I'm going to live through this. And she's just, come on, you can do it. You know, she's running in front of me backwards. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then we turn the corner almost back to their house. And I said, well, by God, I can see the street. Here we go. Boom. And I was able to run more in that moment than I was in the other. Listen to me. The moments before that were just as important as the last. So a lot of times, if you don't know what to do, you just keep on doing what you know you should do in the moment. There's too many times in our lives where we go through a lull spiritually and we drift away from God. If we could just recognize that those spiritual lulls where it feels like we can't feel God, that's mile two and mile three. There's a day coming when you'll see the house, you'll see the road, you'll see the finish line. But mile two and three is where you cover the most ground effectively. Verse number 14, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I'm going to read that again. The Lord shall fight for you and you can be still, one translation says. Did you know you don't have to say everything that crosses your mind? Did you know that your mind is not directly wired to your mouth without a, an ability to stop first? Now, granted, sometimes we all put our foot in our mouth. But I'm saying it is our responsibility to recognize the Word of God that says you don't have to tell everybody off that deserves it. Did you know it's you that loses your peace, not them that takes it from you? So oftentimes we want to blame somebody else for something going on in our life when the reality was is the Lord would have fought our fight and we could have just been still, but instead we figured this time he might need help. So many times in life we carry something that we weren't called to carry because we assume it to be our fight. The battle is the Lord's and the victory is sure.
Verse number 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou out unto me? Why are you calling unto me right now? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Staring at a sea. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob calls things that are not as though they were. And says, I know you're looking at a bunch of water. But here in just a minute, you'll all walk across on dry ground. How many times in your life are you staring at an impossible situation with something terrible coming behind you? Could I make a recommendation? Never forget the backstory. You see, the man that they followed out of Egypt, the man that they decided they were going to follow, was built for this moment. From the time he was born, he was overcoming water and Egyptians. You see, he was born in a time and a season where abortion didn't take place in the mom's womb. It took place just after The Egyptians didn't want any more Israelite boys to be born, so they would kill the babies. It's called infanticide. It's called where you just kill all the infants. So the Bible says that Moses' mother, rightfully so, takes the baby and hides him and protects him from the Egyptians. It's then at that moment that she takes and she crafts a a, a little basket and puts him into the most adverse condition possible for an infant. And I know that babies can swim now. I've seen the YouTube video. But you can't put a baby in a river and expect it to live. She puts the baby in the most harsh environment known to an infant. He's already overcome and seen the hand of God move in his life by protecting him from the sword of the Egyptian. And now he's placed in the most harmful environment imagining, imagined. And all of a sudden the hand of God through the form of a little basket made by his mother protects him as well. You see, the backstory is that Moses was created for this moment. Moses was made to deal with Egyptians on one side and water on the other. Like Joseph, Moses was a product of that backstory and he survived the abortion and all the problems that go on with it. And as an infant, he saw God move, so he surely knew that God would move again. Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh, not unlike Joseph was blessed. He was treated like a son of Pharaoh until he found out that the blessings and the benefits that he was living under came on the sweat, blood, and backs of his own people. It was in that moment that a shift began to take place because he could recognize this God who put me in this position is the God who saved me from Egypt when I was a baby and then saved me from the river. And all along, He was thinking, I was made for this. He finds out that he's one of them and not one of them. And he says, leave my people alone. And he loses it and he kills a guy. And he's got to run off into the wilderness to not be killed himself. And the Bible says that it's in that wilderness moment. Same thing with you and for me a lot of times. It's in that wilderness moment when there's nobody else out there. Maybe just you and a bunch of old sheep. That the Bible says he meets God in the form of a bush that's on fire but not being consumed. 
God put the kind of, He'll put the kind of fire on you that won't burn you up, but it'll let everybody see that He exists. The Bible says that he met God in the wilderness and he's sitting out there thinking, oh man, I'm so glad to be out of Pharaoh's house. And God says, you're going back to Pharaoh's house. Moses, I can't even talk. You can't send me back over there. And I'll paraphrase this. God says, you were created for this, Moses. Created for this. I've prepared you from the time you were an infant in your mother's arms for this moment. He would have never been able to get audience with Pharaoh. Unless he had been raised in the house of Pharaoh. How many other shepherds? Well, let's just put it this way. If somebody walked in the doors right now in this building and says, Hey, I'm a goat farmer and I just saw God in a bush that was on fire. And now I've come in here and I want everybody that's in all the prisons in Brazos County let go right now. Odds are we wouldn't let them go either. But you wouldn't even get that meeting with Pharaoh. Try to go talk to uh, President Obama right now. Just call up the secretary and ask him for a meeting. Not going to happen. God was preparing him for this moment his entire life. Had he not had that relationship, you look back and you say, I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't been around those people. You will have the ability and the authority to walk back to those people and pull them out of bondage because of the relationship you once had. God was preparing Moses for this all the days of his life. His entire life was spent in preparation for the day to set the Israelites free. Then and only then he went before Pharaoh to demand the release of his people. And the God that delivered him from the Egyptians before. And the God that delivered him from the water when he was young was there in that same moment with the Egyptians chasing him down from behind and certain death in front of him he said no guys you gotta know my backstory to know why I'm bold enough to lift this stick and tell this water to move because the God who touched me once will touch me again. There's things in your life that you're going through. And a lot of times, it's easy to question God. Oh God, why this? Oh God, why me? Oh God, why do I have to deal with this? It's your backstory. You see, there'll be a moment in time when somebody's going to come to you and they're going to look at you and they're going to say, I could never be like you. And you'll say, please sit down. Let me tell you my backstory. You're seeing this chapter. Let me tell you, let me tell you about chapters 1, 2, and 3. Didn't look near this good. I couldn't even tie a tie. Come on, somebody. But along the way, your weapons are getting sharpened. Your testimony is getting bigger. Every time that God allows, listen to me, God does not put hardship on his children. But anything that happens in this realm is certainly allowed by God. And what he's looking for is a remnant, because everybody's not going to do it. He's looking for a people that when all kind of problems are staring you in the face, hmm, 
when all kind of issues are coming at you from every angle, that you're willing to declare the same God who touched me once will touch me again. And every stumbling block that the devil puts in front of me, I'm just by faith going to use it as a stepping stone to get to that next level in God. Could you stand to your feet with me, please? Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.